Oh, stop. It's just me again. So, um, <laughs> Pastor John, uh, so glad you're here with us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Um, where'd you grow up? Greenville, South Carolina. All right. I think we have um, some folks from Greenville, South Carolina. I, um, my friends from Greenville, South Carolina, wanted to give you a little gift um, from them to you to remember where you grew up and, and our city. So, um, and the people in Greenville are pretty simple. So, if you can't understand this, um, I don't know what to tell you, but. <clears throat> Thank you. You're welcome. I love it. The love idea, it. Um, the rumor is that on your days off, there you go. I'll use it for you pajamas. You like to go for runs, and we thought that would be great. Thank you. So, from the Greenville region there. Um, so Thank you. Pastor John, tell us this much. Um, where, where did you go to college? Wheaton College, Wheaton, Illinois. And um, I believe we have a picture from your time at Wheaton on the screen. Uh, I'm really hoping we do. There it is. <clears throat> That's later than Wheaton. That? That's later than Wheaton. <laughs> That's about six years after Wheaton. That's six years after. Um, Probably more. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm only a few years out, and I'm, I'm very glad they don't I have pictures. I wasn't nearly that cool at Wheaton. You weren't that cool at Wheaton? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong kind of glasses. Oh, gotcha. Um, well, did you know when you graduated from Wheaton that you were going to want to pastor church? Is that really the, the thought in the back of your mind? Because so many of us, when we graduate, we think we need, we need to know exactly what we're doing. Yeah. No, I didn't know either when I went to Wheaton or when I left Wheaton what I would be doing. My, my life has not been planned by me. It's amazing how un, unplanned it's been. So I went to Wheaton thinking be a veterinarian maybe or something like that because my hands shook too bad to be a real doctor. I thought if I killed a dog, nobody would care. <laughs> Or, or maybe a cat, a cat, a cat. Uh, and, then, and then God did something midstream to make me think, well, maybe doctor would work. And so I took chemistry in the summer school of 66, and at the end of that got mono and had to drop organic chemistry and heard a preacher on the radio and fell in love with exposition and thought, okay, I want to know the Bible. So when I was done with college, all I knew was I want to know the Bible, so I headed for seminary. But what I would do with it, no idea. Wow. Well, one of the stories I, I love you sharing about is how God, during college, um, walked you through a fear, a, a very significant fear in your life. And as I've been thinking and talking to students and the sense that I get, even now, with just tonight and tomorrow morning, that so many of us in the room are struggling with fears, whether it's fears of really letting go and, and trusting our lives to Jesus, whether it's fears of knowing that our lives must change or, or <clears throat> whatever it may be. Could you tell us a story about public speaking and your fear of public speaking um, and specifically how God walked you through that? I, th I think it's fascinating that you speak to thousands, tens of thousands of folks now. And here, knowing, remembering that story that you shared before and how God walked you through those fears in light of our fears things that God has right. us in. Right. Starting in about the seventh grade, maybe, um, something happened, and I don't have any idea to this day how to explain it, uh, but my mind, my emotions, and my body 
would simply shut down if I had to speak in front of a small group like a homeroom class or, or a larger group, and I simply couldn't do it. So there was this unbelievable shame factor, places where you, you had to, and I couldn't. So I remember in the eighth grade one time, all you had to do was read one paragraph of your results from a little science experiment in front of the class. And we were going person by person, and as it came to me, I could see my shirt doing like this. It, my heart was beating so hard, I could see it. And, and about two people in front of me, I got up, went to the bathroom, and just cried and skipped it. And I came back and said to the teacher, I can't. And in the 10th grade, I said to Mr. Vermillion, my, my civics teacher, I said, I, I see on the syllabus there's a, an oral book report. You have to, I can't do it, Mr. Vermillion. He said, Johnny, you have to do it. Can't get better than a C in this class if you don't do it. I said, I'll take a C. That's it. It's just not an option. I couldn't do it, which means I, I never ran for any office or anything because I had to give speeches and all that stuff. And I, 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 it probably had to do with how bad my acne was. I was just so embarrassed all the time. I thought nobody could like me given how withdrawn I was and how yeah. mashed up my face looked to me. And so I went off to college thinking, okay, Wheaton says it has to have a speech requirement, a two-hour speech requirement. I said, I'll, I'll figure out, I'll transfer out. I'll get everything but that and I'll transfer out and go to some community college and get my degree or something. I just cannot do it. This was not, I mean, people talk about having butterflies. No, no comparison. This, this was a, my, my mama, who didn't even believe in psychology in those days, took me to a psychologist. Hmm. And the psychologist showed me a bunch of Rorschach charts and said me, asked me what I saw, you know, these butterfly things. And I don't see anything. And after we were done for an hour, she suggested it might be my mother's fault. Man, I walked out of there. I said, there's one person in this universe who understands me, cares about me, has sympathy for me, gets me, helps me. It's my mom. See you later. I'm never coming back here. And so I didn't. And so I didn't get any help there. So here we are now at Wheaton. Um, and in the summer of 66, between sophomore and junior year, having navigated my way through any classes that would involve me saying anything, I was asked by Chaplain Evan Welch, if I would pray out loud in the summer chapel. Summer chapel would be about 500 students. To this day, I can't explain why I said, how long do you have to pray? And he said, 30 seconds, a minute, just, just open us. And I said, yeah. And if you ask me why, I said, I don't know why. I don't know why, except maybe it was just, I've got to break through. I've just got to break through this. So I walked back and forth on front campus that summer before that, and I made a vow to the Lord. I've only made one or two vows in my life. You know what, real Old Testament, if you do this, I'll do this kind of vow. And I said to the Lord, if you will get me through 30 seconds, just get me through. I'll hold on to this giant pulpit and I'll memorize it cold. And if you just get me through, I will never say no to a speaking engagement of any kind out of fear. I might have to for schedule reasons, but never. That was, to me, that was just the riskiest thing I could possibly say to him. And he did. He did. And I, I took the speech class a year later and wasn't at all sure I could do it. And so I decided to do a demonstration speech with barbells. 
And uh, uh, so, I got you. I was wondering there for a minute. I was, yeah, and okay. and uh, I when I went off to seminary two, two years later, it had, it had broken. And I was able to, to preach. I was always nervous. I still get nervous. And uh, so I think the lesson is whatever feels impossible to you, between you and your hope, your dream, mm -hmm. is probably not impossible. Certainly not impossible with God. And there, there may come a moment, you should ask him for this, where a crisis happens and you have to take a massive risk and throw yourself totally on him, totally. And, and wait for him to come through. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you one more question. It's a little bit a, a change of pace um, because I know this is um, pretty significant in your life. You recently wrote a book on racism and specifically racism between blacks and whites in America. Could you tell us what, what, what led you to that and, and, and why you felt, you know, out of all the books you could have written, you chose to write a book on this at this time. Could you tell us a little bit about why? Right. It's called Bloodlines, mm -hmm. Race, Cross, and the Christian. Mm -hmm. And the term bloodlines means that there is a bloodline mm -hmm. running from the cross that is the dominant bloodline that should unite all believers of every race and ethnicity Amen. over every other bloodline that may feel so significant. That's the behind the title. I have lived in Phillips neighborhood, which is one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the country, 200 languages spoken in Phillips neighborhood, and the second poorest neighborhood in Minneapolis after Northside, and have raised my kids in an atmosphere of um, crime and poverty and, and racial diversity of every kind shifting from every five years or so, there'd be a new wave of Somalis would come through or Laotians would come through or Hispanics would come through and be the dominant one and then it would shift, They'd, everything shakes around and moves around and the African-American presence is just always there and the Native American presence is always there. So I live there uh, knowing I have to navigate this, I have to think about this, I have to talk about this and for the last, I think 17 years now, I have, in January, preached on Sanctity of Life, which comes around January 22, Roe v. Wade anniversary, and Martin Luther King weekend. And I have intentionally put those back to back because almost everybody in America thinks you choose between those two issues. One's Republican, one's Democrat. One's a white issue, one's a black issue. And I, I said, that's not the way we're going to do it. This is, a, this is a blood issue, this is a blood issue. And what I mean when I call racial stuff a blood issue, and, and I'll maybe end with this. Um, you were slain, this is Revelation 5.9. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made them a kingdom, priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. So when I spoke at Moody pastor's conference on this issue, I said, this is not a social issue. Ra racial issues in this country are not a social issue. They're a blood issue because Jesus died to buy 
unity. He died to buy harmony and diversity with, with peace. And so I, I grew up a racist. I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, where separate water fountains, separate speaking, I mean, separate swimming pools, separate restaurants, separate uh, bathrooms, separate everything. It was utterly demeaning and uh, felt like I've got to say something out of my own experience, out of my neighborhood experience, out of the political scene experience, and mainly out of the Bible experience about what Christ died to achieve. Thank you. Thank you so much. Look forward to hearing from you here in a little bit. Let's turn it over to Matt Papa.